hear you masturbating again. I well maybe. It must be the Fanny Gallops. <laughs> Probably is. <laughs> Welcome to the Herd Mentality Podcast, an eclectic weekly mix of atheistic and humanistic conversations with complete strangers. I've never met them and they've never met me, but we're throwing caution to the wind, taking a risk with a dodgy internet connection, and God willing, get an interesting conversation for you to listen to. I'm your host, Adam Reeks, and it's time to meet our guests. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Herd Mentality Podcast. And with me today, I have at Mr. Hawks. Hello, Dave. Engage Dr. Dave Hawks. Hi, Adam. Uh, so we were speaking about getting a sting for me. I'm, I'm almost a co-host now. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're all over the place, even more so than Dan Arell. I know, it's, uh, it's a sweet, sweet victory. From the UK, we have at Franco Soup. Hello, Ra. Hi there. You're sounding sultry. <laughs> That's what I wanted to hear. <laughs> and a new <laughs> guest on the show, at Joe Benhamu. Joanne, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm very well, uh, thanks. You're a colleague of Dave's, I understand. I am. Just really quickly, what are your credentials? Uh, well, I, uh, I'm a registered nurse. I work in uh, clinical research in radiation oncology. Well, in my former life, I used to spend a lot of time uh, working in gastroenterology, but I've moved on from that. And uh, these days I'm on the executive of Friends of Science in Medicine. Wow. And you and Dave are writing a paper together. We are. And this is the first time you've spoken in... Ever. 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 (laughs) Yeah, Jo likes to keep me at arm's length. I think she thinks I'm a bit crazy because of the people I associate with. Yes, Adam, we're looking at you. With good reason. Uh, All right. Well, everyone today is here to have a bit of a yak about this anti-vax nonsense. Uh, So there's plenty of stuff going on with it. Jo. Yes. What's a vaccine? Okay, a vaccine is uh, taking uh, some part of a pathogen and uh, using it to stimulate the body's immune system so that it uh, has an immune response and thereby next time the body is exposed to that pathogen, it'll be primed and prepared so that it's able to actually prevent it from causing a serious infection or at least decreasing the seriousness of the infection. The best way I've had an analogy for it is if anyone's ever travelled overseas, particularly to a foreign country with a different language, the first time you try and catch a train, it takes you a little while to work out how to get a ticket, how to get into the platform and, and get on the train. And that's like the vaccine. It's teaching you how to, your immune system how to do that. So the next time you actually come in, you get your ticket, you, you're on the train really quickly and that's your immune response. It's still the natural immune response but it's just got a bit of extra information. It's a bit more primed. It can respond a lot faster. So there's some vaccines that you can give that will last an entire lifetime, and there's some uh-huh. that you can't. They'll only last one season. The flu vaccine is one that we uh, have to have every season. That's also because the, the actual the, the influenza virus, um, there are different strains each year, and they, uh, they tailor the vaccine each year to what they expect that particular strain will be. Whereas, uh, and also actually the whooping cough vaccine is another one which wears off over time. And in fact, one of the problems we've had with the whooping cough vaccine is that uh, a lot of adults aren't aware that they need to have boosters. So, uh, you know, there have been a number of whooping cough outbreaks where um, people in the community have not had boosters and there's basically a, a means for it to spread through the community. Yeah, so with the flu vaccine and also with the pertussis, I, just because I know the background of your show quite well, Adam, it's, this is evolution. So you have a flu virus. It goes around, people can fight it off. That flu virus, instead of making up 70% of the viruses going around, it will be really knocked down. It will still be there, but it will be you know, less than 1%. However, when you get another strain that people aren't, don't have an immune response to, then that will rise up. And because flu of the type of virus it is, 
it mutates really rapidly. So that's why every year they, they need to sort of get a couple, a couple of extra strains. And as I think I've said previously, I actually took part in a clinical trial for a, a vaccine for flu that actually targets four strains. So two of the type A, two of the type B. And, and pertussis, so the whooping cough, is exactly the same. It only has three to five of the proteins in the bacteria, and there's about 3,000. And so over time, it's becoming less effective. Um, it doesn't, you know, it lasts about, I think, eight to 10 years, but it's also a bit less effective, but it's still 82% effective. So if you think of somebody on the street who has whooping cough, you have the vaccine, and there's only a 20% of chance of it getting to you, then you give it to your child who's also had the vaccine. So it's 20% of 20%. So you're actually looking at, you know, a 4% chance of your child getting whooping cough with just two of you vaccinated. So if you can actually have the entire community vaccinated, then you can actually reduce the, the effect of these, these pathogens being able to spread. Mm. A lot of the anti-vaxxers bang on about the reactions that you can have to live samples because that sounds quite terrifying. What's going on there? What I've seen lately, and I think uh, Dave has been in a couple of discussions with regards to HPV, a lot of it boils down to people thinking that um, the HPV is going to make your daughters promiscuous. And we've had this a couple of times, um, you know, and and, um, I was involved in in a conversation, I think, Dave, you may have been involved in this with a Catholic group, I think it was last week, and, you know, sort of when you peeled away all the sort of bullshit about side effects, the lady finally said, well, actually, you know, it, it will encourage my daughter to have sex. That's actually quite interesting with the HPV vaccine because you, you get the anti-vaxxers generally who are opposed to vaccination, but the HPV vaccine has really kind of drawn out the, the religious um, oh, aspect yeah. to this, particularly in America. I mean, I, I remember when Michelle Buffman came out criticising the vaccine and it's really sort of unveiled the, those kind of ideological and religious views around it. They're terribly worried, you know, that um, the girls are going to have the HPV vaccine and they're going to be frothing at the gash and they're going to go out and shag everyone. And, you know, it's really not the case. And you try, you know, I've tried to say to them, it's as likely to make your daughter promiscuous as the flu jab is going to make you go out and lick snotty noses. It really doesn't happen. (laughs) But people are just so convinced it's going to. And they get into that mindset. Then there's no rational discussion after that. Um, But, I mean, as the girls are having sex anyway, and as research suggests, a lot of the high rates of pregnancy, teen pregnancies in America are within the very religious areas, the Bible Belt. So why not protect these girls? The other thing, though, about the HPV vaccine is that it's not just protecting girls. It's protecting no, boys. It's, it's not just the cervical cancer that it, it's, it's protecting against. It's anal cancers, uh, head and neck cancers. So, yeah, I mean, I might jump in here. And HPV is, is probably the, the vaccine I know the most about. And I'm quite interested in it because mm. it's, it's a virus. Well, the human papillomavirus. Yeah, so it's a human papillomavirus. Um, and I'll just give you a 30-second background. There's over 100 strains. Only 15 of them uh, are linked to cancer. But as I said, 99% of cervical cancers, I think it's 90%. It's 90% and 40% of penis and anal cancers. It's also... Uh, strongly associated with vaginal or vulval cancers. It's uh, it's about 33% of, I think, mouth and, mouth and throat cancers are caused by this. So pretty much anywhere you can have fun with somebody else's body, you can get HPV. Ra, you've had a little bit of a run-in with a gentleman by the name of Rob Schneider. Um, yes. 
He's probably one of the most despised people on the planet by people who have brains. Yes, he's a lunatic. He's a complete and utter lunatic. He's got a pedestal. He does. He does indeed. He's got, you know, he's got a platform um, to, you know, in which he can spout his utter fuckwankery. And it really boils my piss. There it is. I've, ex- <laughs> I've also had some run-ins with Rob Schneider as well. Mm. Um, and he, he's an anti-vaccinationist who actually doesn't understand the topic and, and generally parrots a couple of people. His sources, um, when I had a chat to him, they were from a chiropractor blog. And um, when I asked him for peer-reviewed um, sources for his outrageous claims, he provided me a link to the Wall Street Journal. He's an absolute imbecile. Mm, and we're having mm. a bit of a chat briefly before the show. Joanne, what's on Mm -hmm. the telly at the moment? Well, as we speak, the former president of the Australian Vaccination Network, Meryl Dory, is debating vaccination with uh, Professor Robert McIntyre. It's one of the things that we've really kind of worked on here in Australia is dealing with this whole issue of false balance in the media. And for the most part, we've kind of managed to, to get the media over the last few years not to put on anti vaxxers alongside credentialed people to talk about vaccination. But every now and again, someone loses their mind and uh, and invites someone like Meryl Dory on to debate an expert on vaccination. The thing is, what's happened is Dr. Rachel Dunlop, who's at Dr. Dr. Rachi, has is probably one of the most well-known sort of scientific voices sort of combating anti-vaccinations. It makes me look like some kid playing in a sandpit. <laughs> and she's been on, and, and there's a pro- show called The Project on at 7 o'clock on a weeknight. It's, it's quite popular. And after chatting to them for about five minutes, they agreed that they're not going to do false balance because you'll get a scientist on it. If you listen to scientists, like the, the paper I came on for the very first show, uh, episode four, I think I was talking about this paper I wrote on HPV vaccination, and I give the risks and benefits of the vaccine. And that's what scientists, we give the pros and cons, whereas anti-vaccinationists will just, you can, you can get them to be quiet really easily by asking, what's the benefit of a vaccine? And if someone can't actually give you a benefit of a vaccine, then you know what you're dealing with. One of the sites I had a quick look at before coming on was the Think Twice Global Vaccination Institute. Yeah, there's a whole variety of them. And there's like the AVN in Australia. We've got the National uh, Vaccination Information Centre, I think, in the States, which is was started in the early 80s. I'm actually reading a book about the founding of that at the moment. They always say that they're just volunteers and things like that. But when you look at Meryl Dory and the Australian Vaccination Network, at their height, they were bringing in $300,000 a year. And Meryl Dory was collecting editor's fees for a, for a, a magazine that they were meant to publish four times a year. It got published once in the last two years when before they canned it. And she was getting five figures salary for editing something that wasn't being actually produced so there's a really strong financial motive mm. and they but then they flip it around and they say all right well who's paying your wages whenever i weigh into a vaccination debate and that's why i have a very strong very clear explanation for what i'm doing and, and who's paid me and what money i've received and so yeah i haven't even got a free lunch out of all of this <laughs> i think one of, one of the things is that you know you, you get uh, some of these websites which at first glance, they look completely bonkers and, and you wouldn't really pay much attention to them. But you go on to something like the, the Australian Vaccination Network's website and it, it's actually very nicely put together. It looks very pretty. It, it really sort of tries to appeal to the, the concerned mum 
and that's kind of always the, the line that they've gone along. And those are the exact um, websites that um, mothers of, of my patients look at before mm-hmm. they come you know, to the clinic to vaccinate their children. And they will say, well, I've read this on NetMums or I've read this on this particular website and, you know, this vaccination has this and it's going to make my child autistic or, you know, it's going to make my child promiscuous. And, of course, I'm not quite sure if you guys if you guys have heard about it, but we have a ghastly, dreadful magazine here called What Doctors Don't Tell You. Have you heard oh, about yes. that? Oh, yes, yes, I have. Yeah. That has yeah. been the bane of my life in general practice in the last couple of months um, because Tesco which is a big supermarket here mm. um, started selling it and these people buy it and they come to the clinic thinking they're in possession of some sort of clinical revelation and you look like a complete imbecile because you say, well actually this is not true um, but because it's in a glossy magazine, very well produced, and it looks rather beautiful, people think that you're the one who's a complete lunatic and you don't know what you're talking about. And the magazine must be right. And it, it is all about presentation, and there's an awful lot of money involved to make it look that way in itself. Consciousness. There's a, there's a similar one that started um, about a year, oh, must be about two years ago now, um, called the New Zealand Journal of Natural Medicine. And uh, it's also very glossy, very professional looking. And it sits right in between all the, you know, the, the mother and baby uh, magazines and the newsagent. And it, it's, uh, it's completely anti-vax. It's anti-chemotherapy. You, you name it. If there's a, a reputable uh, medical intervention, it will, it'll, it'll oppose it. And I've actually found from going into the newsagents and speaking to the people who own the newsagents that if, you know, I've, I've said to a number of them, look, do you actually realise what this magazine's promoting? And um, a number of them have agreed to take it off the shelves because they, they do actually have a say in what they, they put on their own shelves. They just, you know, things get sent to them. They don't pay too much attention to what's in them. So I've, I've always encouraged people if they see this stuff out there to actually speak to the, the people in the news agents and encourage them to remove it from the shelves. I emailed Tesco because I, I was really quite cross about it. Um, I mean, there was an article that really, really wound me up and it was uh, talking about um, not um, putting your pets through chemotherapy that they could treat uh, the cancer with vitamins. Consciousness. I kind of, you know, lost my temper a little bit then and I, and I did write um, a very snooty email to Tesco and I, I had the standard reply, you know, we're looking into it. But I think they have pulled the magazines um, mm. from their shelves now because I think they have had a lot of complaints. Mm. So that's quite positive. Bro, I saw somebody, a, a very quick clip on it was on YouTube and on 7 News not long ago there was a lady called Judy Wileyman. <laughs> you aware of this? <laughs> now, she went on the record to state that uh, nutrition and hygiene were the key to resisting disease. Now, I understand that may well be the case for scurvy, but probably not for polio. So my question is, <laughs> what vegetable or fruit do you need to avoid polio? Because my guess would be strawberries. Okay, um, I've got a butt in here because I think that anyone who's ever looked at my vaccination stuff will know that Judy Wildman runs a hate page about me and she was one of the people involved in the impetus that got me to uh, write our paper on HPV. She's a PhD student. I think she started in 2006. 
seven. Yeah. And so she's been doing a PhD for a long time, and she's actually had to swap universities from uh, Western Australia in Perth to Wollongong. And part of the reason was that the supervisor she had in uh, Western Australia, he's a guy called Dr. Peter Dingle. So he's at Dr. Dingle on Twitter. Uh, please don't follow him. His wife died of bowel cancer, and one of the reasons that she she died or, or certainly died sooner than she possibly could have was that they decided to treat her with homeopathy. And there's uh, a number of there's there's a, a there was a court case and there was a a, a two part uh, television special on what happened and how she died and it, it really it does still haunt me imagining. Mm. And so this was a person who was a toxicologist, environmental toxicologist, uh, had was working in a university, was teaching, and this was Judy Wileman's supervisor, who now, her current supervisor is a social scientist who has no qualifications in biology, but somehow she's doing a PhD. So I've actually met her in person and at a, a conference, and she it was a, a history and philosophy of science conference in Melbourne this year, and uh, I raised a couple of issues, and she yelled at me. Then all the other students raised issues, and in fact, the MC also raised issues, and she yelled at them. She doesn't understand biology, which is scary because she was a science teacher for about 20 years. So she's mm. in her, I'd say, 50s at a yeah, guess. She has the theory that you only get, you, you know, HPV virus can't cause cancer unless there's other cues, and these cues only exist in developing countries. But the problem is she, she thinks that pap smears are a prevention. So for anyone listening at home, HPV causes overwhelmingly as much as 99.7% of cervical cancers and essentially once you get an infection particularly there's only 15 strains of like 100 strains and 70% of cervical cancers are caused by two strains number 16 and 18 and they're what's in any of the vaccines there's a couple of vaccines and both of them protect against these strains so if you can prevent these strains then you won't get infection with them a lot of the time it doesn't lead to anything other than just an infection which doesn't cause too much but 10 to 20 years, when cancer develops, 70% of them will be uh, facilitated by these infections. In Australia, we've got a mortality rate. So two in 100,000 women between the age of 20 and 65 die of cervical cancer each year, which is a couple of hundred. Uh, around the world, it's about 160,000 women die of cervical cancer each year. And if, if they do a pap smear and they find a, a precancerous lesion, what they do is they either burn it off or cut it off. Um, I don't have a cervix, but I can't imagine it's a pleasant thing to go through. And the other problem is my, my wife's about three weeks away from uh, delivering our first child. So I've, I've done a lot of study of, of birth. And, and one of the things I came up with is that when you've actually had these procedures, so the burning, but particularly the surgical removal, it can actually weaken the cervix, which can actually affect uh, how, you know, if a woman can carry a baby to term. And there's, there's obviously increased risk even aside from cancer. Indeed, yeah. To support your assertion about um, HPV, Bristol Laboratory now in Southmead, where all the cytology goes to, we're doing a trial where if your cytology sample tests positive for HPV, they will then go on to investigate the cells further. If you're negative for HPV, there's no further investigation required, such as the correlation between HPV being the cause of cancer. So this is a, a pilot that they're doing in Bristol. I'm, I'm not quite sure how many other laboratories um, are doing it in the UK. But if the sample now tests negative for HPV, 
they won't go on to investigate the sample any further. There's actually a publication that came out earlier this year. I'm, I, I read it. I'm not sure remember if I cited it in our paper, but it, exactly what you're saying, they measured sort of, you know, whether they can actually see odd cells using sort of cytology, which I think is essentially a pap smear, or whether they test for HPV, and they found testing for HPV is the strongest, most accurate way of assessing whether anyone will have a precancerous lesion appear. And I think in the next three years, so you're looking at, you know, pap smears are every two years from every, like, mm. you guys are nurses, I'm just a, a scientist yeah. in a lab. In the, but in the UK, we do... Uh, normal recall, it's it's very weird actually, in Wales it's every um, two years if I'm not mistaken and it starts from 20 uh, years of age and in England it's from 25, normal recall is every three years but obviously if you have um, any abnormalities or if you're HPV positive then you go to yearly recalls. I don't know about Scotland actually, I'm, I'm not quite sure about that. Okay, so the other thing with uh, the HPV is with the side effects, because it was only released in 2006, 2007, uh, we know that hygiene is not going to play a big role. And a lot of the other things that people say vaccines didn't cause a reduction in disease, they don't really affect us because apart from fashions and Miley Cyrus, not a lot has changed since 2007. A lot of the time in America, there's a system called VAERS, which is a, a vaccine reporting system. And anyone can go on the internet and report a vaccine uh, side effect. So if you get a sore arm, you can go on there, just give your name, details, and say, well, I had a sore arm. And that's great because it allows us to sort of track when, when we've got reactions that might not be picked up in a clinical trial because clinical trials for the HPV was 44,000 women, whereas the vaccine has been given to over 120 million already. So, you know, things that happen one in a million might not be picked up in a clinical trial, but these sort of systems allow us to detect it in the population. However... Anti-vaxxers and whether or not they're involved in making these registrations or whether they just capitalise on them, people say the vaccine killed my child, and they put in this into the uh, into the internet and it goes onto the database and anyone can look it up. So I think there's 139 reports of death linked to the vaccine. Uh, the first 32 were actually examined because this is obviously a very serious side effect, and they found that of the 32, 12 of them they couldn't find a person or a death. So these professional researchers couldn't track it down. Of the other 20, they looked at them and there was no, you know, if you get a vaccine side effect, like if you get fevers or convulsions, it should be pretty consistent. That's what it causes. If you take too many paracetamols or codeines, you, you're going to get constipated. It, you can see cause and effect. But they looked at this and I think the largest single group was heart problems, which was six out of 20. And of those, they were divided into two further subgroups. And when they compared it to the general population, there was no difference. So if you give, you know, you give 100 million people a vaccine, things that happen one in a million times will happen 100 times. But that doesn't stop them saying that, oh, you know, there's 139 deaths. It's like, well, there's 139 reports. There's also a report in there of someone having a vaccine and turning into a 12-foot bright green rage-filled monster. consciousness. <laughs> Seems legit. Well, it's, it's really important for public health, and that's why the system should be open, and I'm, I'm a really big supporter of this, but they even say on their website this data is, is reports and isn't validated, and so please don't take it as gospel until it's been, you know, until we've investigated. And then they, they publish uh, studies on this data and where they've investigated them. So it's their favourite tool for doing this, and they say 30,000 reactions. 
And when we looked at the stuff from the HPV, they, there are reactions, but 93% of them are sort of mild. So you get an injection in your arm to stimulate an immune response, you'll get a sore arm. It might be red, it might be a little bit swollen. Um, you might have a, an elevated temperature for a day or two. Uh, the other thing that they found with the HPV vaccine is that uh, when you give a vaccine to 13-year-old girls, uh, they, they tend to faint more I than most people. I was just going to say that. <laughs> you go for it, Joe. I was just going to say that, you know, one of the things that they'll often say is that they administered the HPV vaccine to a whole lot of schoolgirls and, you know, uh, there was all these young girls fainting and, and, and in terrible pain. Is it possible that the people who are administering these vaccines are, in fact, One Direction? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I've seen some of the tattoos and I really hope not because they're pretty woeful with needles. That's exactly the point. If you administer a vaccine, if you if you give a needle to a whole lot of young girls, a lot of them will react. They will find the experience frightening. And then there's also just the like the, gr- the group reaction where they'll almost become hysterical and they see one of their friends overreacting to this experience and a lot of them will become panicked. So it's not actually a reaction to the vaccine. It's simply the, the social experience of having this. It's not just girls because um, it's quite funny that you talk about the sort of fainting and hysteria. When um, I worked at the prison and we used to vaccinate um, chaps that the prisoners um, for HEP, um, you used to get you know lots of fainting and mm. reported symptoms because um, it got you a day off work and yourself watching television all day so you, you had this sort of you know mass vasovagal taking over the whole prison oh. everyone would react to it and it, it oh. is indeed it's just peer pressure and people copying each other <laughs> hey ra yes autism and mmr yes i'm reluctant to bring it up because i know that it's been thoroughly debunked but summarize andrew wakefield did a paper it's published in the lancet linking um, autism to MMR and of course this caused massive massive panic and um, people stopped vaccinating their children and of course uh, you know, I'm sure you know we're having a little bit of a problem with measles at the moment in the UK and pertussis as well so it's been debunked you know several times lots and lots of research there's been no causal link at all feel free to jump in dave um at any time because this is not my expert field it's yours um but it's it's been debunked you know several times and there are people who still believe it and i was actually again in another sort of debate with dave this week where a lady presented a link saying that actually um, Andrew Wakefield had been, you know, sort of vindicated and he was right after all. And obviously that's utter, bog, you know, bogwash. It's nothing of the sort. But of course we've had in the last few months a bit of panic with a catch-up vaccination program. And um, I've been vaccinating children who are in their teens and they've never had a single vaccine, not just the MMR, but not a single vaccine. And this is the knock-on effect, and it's so dangerous because measles kills. In 1998, I think it was, when, uh, when the so Wakefield controversy started, that was what really set off this panic around it. And I think, you know, we've, we've known for a long time that it w- would take an outbreak like this and, and parents actually seeing their children affected by these diseases for them to react and say, oh, you know, actually maybe I was wrong. And, and that's sort of overridden their fear around autism. But uh, one of the things I'd, I'd really recommend if you don't 
know much about the case is Brian Deere, a journalist, wrote a, um, a fantastic piece in the British Medical Journal. Uh, it's, a, it's a series of three articles and it talks about the Wakefield issue and, and, and how, uh, as, uh, as the title of one of the, the pieces is, is how the case against the MMR vaccine was fixed. And it's an absolutely fascinating read. And if you don't know much about uh, what actually happened, I really recommend reading it. He was terribly dishonest. I mean, he was mm. uh, testing, you know, he was using um, children, his children's friends, um, in paying them for blood tests at mm. uh, birthday parties. Um, you know, it's, it's just the harm that this man has caused. The work we do in, in research of, of fulfilling the requirements around the ethical conduct of human research, what we have to do to make sure that we're not exposing people to unnecessary risk. I mean, this is a man who conducted colonoscopies on children. Consciousness. With absolutely no reason whatsoever and I think one of the children actually had a, a, a perforated colon as a result of one of these procedures Consciousness. and this this was uh, as a way to take biopsies to demonstrate the presence of uh, measles in the in the um, in the tissue uh, in the mucosa of the bowel I, I mean th it, that anyone would actually subject children to this level of risk okay so I've I've completely agree with every, everything you said and I've been involved like this is how I got in contact with Adam I think Secular Boat mentioned on episode four about this this trial and um, I contacted them because saying well it was actually only 12 kids so I'll, I'll see if I can run through a few dot points and, and uh, when, when anti-vaxxers raise them and this is always I'll see if I've got all of them so Andrew Wakefield has been vindicated because he's got his medical license back that's not true he's applied to get it back and he's tried to sue pretty much everyone, and it's always been thrown out. They also said that the, the results have been proven in other labs, and I think they cite five other labs, and when you actually look at the papers, it's not that many, and it always seems to be this person from Andrew Wakefield's lab doing work in other people's labs, so it's not exactly independent. Andrew Wakefield took out a patent on a measles-only vaccine, so not MMR, because he actually said it's the MMR, it's not the measles vaccine, and therefore using single vaccines would be better, and he actually owned a patent on a single vaccine. The paper has been withdrawn. They've looked at the 12 patients, and they found that their medical records don't actually tie up with what they said in the paper, like some of them had symptoms before vaccination, which sort of does throw out your problem that vaccination causes it. The thing that gets me is you, you're talking about kids and measles and that, but from my, and, and Ra would certainly know a lot more about this, in Swansea this year, we had a 25-year-old father die of measles because he missed vaccination. And so this is, this is not something that affects you as a kid. This can kill you at any age if you're not vaccinated. So we always think about kids, you know, the HPV is generally one of the last vaccines they get as they approach teenage years. But these diseases don't, they don't go, all right, you're 18, that's good. Um, no, they will kill you at any stage. Someone died of diphtheria, diphtheria in Brisbane a couple of years ago, and they were 22, but they were unvaccinated. Diphtheria just now had a, a measles outbreak, oddly enough, in, uh, in Meraldori's part of town. Did yeah. you contract it? <laughs> no, we, 
Because the problem is most of the anti-vaccinationists were vaccinated. Most of them are, are my age or older and they were vaccinated and they were getting the benefits, but then they've decided that they don't want them for their kids, which is incredibly selfish. And I wouldn't wish these diseases on anyone. But what Joe's talking about is, yeah, in Byron Bay, they found measles. But what they've also found is an unvaccinated kid took measles to a theme park during the school holidays and measles in an unvaccinated population or a naive population will infect 86% of people. And of those that are infected, one in 500. So, you know, think about theme parks. There's a lot of people that go there. One in 500 will get encephalitis, which is inflammation of the brain. The nurses can probably correct me if I've got that wrong. No, I think that's I correct. That. That's correct. I suffer from exactly the opposite. Sorry. Shrinkage <laughs> of the brain. It's terrible. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be cutting that from the show. Don't worry. <laughs> I've always suggested that um, anti-vaxxers should hold all their meetings in areas that are high risk um, for JAP, E and yellow fever. You know, put their money where their mouth is, see if they really do stick by what they say. And how's it going? Are they, have they responded? No. <laughs> of course, you know, and going back to vaxxers, of course, uh, Rob Schneider isn't um, my only, you know, the only bugbear in my life. Of course, we've got the lovely Jenny McCarthy, a yes. very famous immunologist. Yes, yeah, she's on my um, list here to ask you about. <laughs> she's really, you know, bosom buddies with Andrew Wakefield, and I think she did a little piece in his book to say how, you know, she cured her son autism with diet and how she sort of supports everything Andrew Wakefield has to say. That's terrifying. I might, I might take this opportunity also to, uh, in terms of Jenny McCarthy has just triggered, if you want to know about vaccinations, I'm just some guy on a podcast. Take anything anyone says on the internet with a grain of salt. In terms of reputable websites, the Centre for Disease Control in the US is great. Immunizeaustralia.gov.au is a fantastic resource and it gives you a whole bunch of information about each vaccine and what they do and what the side effects are. Uh, the NCIRS, they're on Twitter at NCIRS, is also a really good resource for a lot of information. If you want something that appeals to your sense of humour, Penn and Teller's bullshit did their last episode of their eight series was vaccinations. All the science is pretty much right. There's a couple of nuances, but really they go through it and they go through some of the anti-vaccinations tests and they go through Jenny McCarthy and they give you a really good pen and teller version of the vaccine controversy. And yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just, a, it's a great starting place if you're a bit confused and you sort of don't really want to read a whole bunch of technical stuff just yet until you've got a bit of a background. That's, a, that's not, a, not the worst place in the world to start. The other thing I always love to give a plug to, because I just think it was such a fabulous documentary, is um, Sonia Pemberton uh, put out a documentary called Jabbed earlier this year. The thing that I really loved about this documentary was that it presented the risks and benefits of vaccination. And what was particularly fascinating about it was that it actually had on there uh, a couple of families whose children actually were injured by vaccination. But the reasons for that are very clearly explained and they are the, the very, very small minority. And the mechanisms behind how these children actually were affected by the vaccinations is, is very well explained in the show. What's interesting about it is that the parents of these children are not anti-vaccination. They are advocates for vaccination because they understand why their children were damaged, but they understand that that does not actually diminish the importance of vaccination. And I really, really recommend it. And Sonia's working on an American version at the moment, and they're not going to call it Jab. So if on the Jab Facebook site or on Jab Twitter, they're looking for possible names, I've submitted Worth a Shot um, instead of Jab. That's very good. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So, um, but yeah, it's I've, I've spoken to Sonia a couple of times, and she did a, a documentary on, on HPV. 
and the sort of link with cancer. And so she got all this anti-vaxxers and people and pulling up on it. So she's done this documentary. And I mean, one of them is, is a polio vaccine that they were using that wasn't inactivated, which is what they use in the third world because you can give it to lots of people very quickly. You don't have to use needles, so you don't have to worry about, you know, keeping clean needles around, which, in you know, the slums of India is more difficult. But there is a one in a million chance that you will actually get polio. And so this is what they were using in the US and this kid got polio. And so, you know what they did? Science found that this was a risk when there's no actual polio in America, then the risk of from the vaccine is higher. So they changed the vaccine. Whereas you're looking at places like, well, India's two years now, I think, without polio, but you look at other places like Nigeria that still have polio and your chance of getting polio wild type, so the, the native virus, is much higher than getting it from the vaccine. So it's a risk benefit and it's a continuing conversation. We don't go, all right, the HPV vaccine's out there, you know, this is what it's going to be like for eternity. Because, I mean, we, we don't have the smallpox vaccine anymore because the virus doesn't exist. And if you get rid of the smallpox virus from every human being, it's gone. Measles is the same. Polio is the same. Viruses only often live in one species. So the day that there's no measles in a human being, measles cease to exist. When did they stop administering the smallpox vaccine in Australia? Yeah, this is not my area, but I know the last case of smallpox was, I think, 1977, and the guy that had that is now a campaigner for vaccination. I was going to say another really good source for UK-based people, well, you don't have to be UK-based, but um, I use it a lot in clinical practice, but there is a sort of, you know, user-friendly, you know, non-clinical person-friendly part of it is the green book in the department of health website and it runs through all the pros and cons of vaccinations and it gives a really balanced view um so i always recommend that to people if they're looking for information on vaccines if you just go into the department of health website you'll just have every single vaccination possible on there with lots of really good info it's really really good what's interesting though is that you know a lot of the websites that we've recommended um do come from government agencies and what's, what's very difficult in dealing with the, uh, the anti-vaxxer is that they are so inherently mistrusting of government that if you point people in that direction, their response will, of course, be, well, you know, that's coming from the government and the government doesn't have big your best at heart and big pharma and, and so on, completely discounting the fact that the information that they're claiming isn't there is right there. The risks are clearly displayed. There's no hiding of information, but there's just sort of this innate mistrust of any authority or any information that comes from authority. I might take this opportunity. I was, I was going to mention at the start of the show, but I forgot because it's Saturday morning. What we're talking about, when we talk about anti-vaxxers, you've, you've actually got several groups of people. You've got there's the people that make up the majority of, of any population who are fully vaccinated according to the, the schedule decided by sort of health information. Then you've got people who might have missed one vaccine or one dose, and that could be that they could have a fever that day or they were on holidays, and they constitute the next biggest group. Then you've got a very small group of people that choose not to vaccinate or choose to selectively vaccinate. They're the ones that I think are the most important people to actually have a conversation at. You can't, you can't yell at them because a lot of them have concerns. If someone told me that, you know, my new baby could get autism from getting a needle i wouldn't get it until i checked it out now this is the whole point until i checked it out now these people perpetuate things that have been actually you're talking about mnr and autism there was a half a million person study in denmark that actually showed that there's no no link to mnr and autism 
But then these people are the ones that I think are most important to target because they have been swayed and you can sway them back with new information. And I've, I think I've had a bit of success with that over the last few years. And then you've got this tiny percentage, which are the people that we're actually referring to when we're talking about anti-vaxxers, these people who are anti-vaccine. It's not about the information. Originally, it was autism caused by MMR. Then it was auto, Then it was side effects caused by the mercury. Then they took the mercury out. Now it's then it was the formaldehyde, or then it was the aluminium. I think is the most mm-hmm. recent one. Yeah. And then their their favourite one is too. Their new one is too many too soon. They argue we're getting too many vaccines. Guess what? If you got your vaccinations in the early eighties, as you know, as a kid, I would have you got a bit over 3,000 antigens. That's a 3,000, about 3,200 different parts of different pathogens into your body to protect you against disease. Now it's about 150. So we're actually getting less of these antigens because we're more effective at actually making the immune system recognize them. And and so you've actually got less of these parts of viruses and bacteria going into you than you did 30 years ago. But then they continue because it's more needles or, or there's more doses and the reason we have more doses is we've worked out how many you need to boost your immune system. So one MMR gives you about 85% coverage. Once you get three, it's like over 98%. Rant finished. <laughs> Excellent. And there's also just the fact that, you know, there's a lack of understanding of the fact that we are exposed to pathogens every single minute of every single day. And why would there be a different reaction to a vaccine than to any other exposure to an antigen. Yeah, see, I've had the flu before. I know what the reaction is to having the flu. It's probably not as good as the reaction I have to the flu jab. No, and and if you want to test your kid's immune system, if you want to get more pathogens and more like live pathogens rather than safe ones in vaccines, you want to get as many as possible. If you see them eating a handful of dirt, they're going to get more antigens and more live bacteria and more everything else than in the entire vaccine schedule. Yeah, I think Dr. Carl talks about this. He said he used to try and keep everything as sterile as possible for his kids until he turned around one day and saw his daughter chewing on a shoe. <laughs> and then he well, just there, There's up. actually a bit of a hypothesis that by not presenting your kids with, you know, playing in dirt and stuff, it may actually not train their immune system as well. And yeah, so that could that lead well. to sort of more allergies and mm. things like that. And that that's a bit of a, a topic that's there's currently a lot of work being done. But yeah, so kids will play in dirt. They've been doing it for well, a long time and most of them come out okay. But there's a couple of these pathogens that you can find in dirt or anywhere else that are really dangerous. And so we've created vaccines. I mean, you've got more bacteria in your body than you do cells. Ten times more of the cells in your, or ten times of the, the cells in your body are foreign. They're not actually yep. you. Yeah, you've got about three, I think it's three kilograms of bacteria in your gut alone. <laughs> I, I, I'm just waiting for the next, um, the next fad diet to come out. The bacteria diet or the dirt diet? <laughs> the dirt diet. <laughs> Strangely enough, as, as bizarre as it might think, uh, faecal implants are now being used, so they're taking poo from healthy individuals and giving it to people with with certain conditions, and that's a way of introducing bacteria. Yeah, look, let's head over to Joe, who's our gastroenterologist. (laughs) Well, gastroenterologist, anyway. One of the interesting things about the faecal transplants is that they... um, they were very controversial for a long time. It was it was seen as very much fringe science, and and I suppose there's also the huge ick factor around that. Now, what's interesting is that over the last few years, it's the science is actually falling on the side of these being a, quite a, a good idea. 
but only for one particular condition, and that is for people who have an infection with a bacteria called Clostridium difficile. And this is a really nasty bacteria which causes a horrible diarrhea. People can become really, really sick with it. And it's very, very difficult to treat. And it does actually sometimes come about after um, having exposure to antibiotics. Now, they found that um, by uh, recolonizing the, the bowel with bacteria through someone else's feces, you could actually treat this infection. And it's actually proven to be quite successful. And it doesn't matter What's... who? So do you think perhaps I could go and donate the same way you'd go down to the sperm bank you, or the blood bank? It's not a human centipede, Adam. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I didn't make the joke. It's all day. <laughs> the other thing that's happening is, is apart from the actual clinical things, there's actually been some basic science studies where they've, because I think it's rats, actually eat poo. Consciousness. It's just one thing they do. It's like dogs. They've, they've actually found that obesity, um, they've, they've found, it's, it's a very preliminary study that animals who are obese, when they feed the poo to these animals that have never been exposed to any bacteria, they're more likely to be obese. But when they ate, when these obese animals are fed the poo from healthy weight animals, then they can actually lose weight. So there's obviously what they're suggesting is that there's a role of this gut bacteria and the gut bacteria we've got might play a role in how our body metabolizes food and therefore our likelihood of being obese. Do you think the space on the open market, Dave, for um, perhaps selling supermodel poo for that very reason? <laughs> no. No? Okay. <laughs> Well, I mean, the cocaine levels would be out of sight anyway. It wouldn't be wouldn't be TGA approved. It'd probably be difficult to get out with all the constipation. Yeah. Uh, I did, of course, it is inevitable that the minute you come out with any you know novel treatment for anything, that it'll be misappropriated and 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 used uh, you know inappropriately. And of course, what we're seeing now is um, first of all people uh, making claims around fecal transplants that they can be used to treat all sorts of other conditions like um, autism. Consciousness. Uh, various other gastroenteritis like Crohn's disease and so on. And there are actually forums and, you know, uh, post it all to the communities who believe in the, uh, you know, treating autism with diet and so on. There are people out there advocating that parents go out there and buy garden hoses and basically administer fecal transplants to their children at home. Consciousness. Which is quite possibly one of the most horrific things that I've ever seen. Wow. That sounds a little bit... uh... (laughs) Oh, God, no, not the extended version. You get the full (laughs) version in stereo. I'd like to think that perhaps that's what Deepak's doing with his colonic consciousness. Yeah. I'm getting the kiddies to to do a handstand in the corner and hooking them up like a vase. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think that... He's had a lot of fecal transplants. I mean, he talks an awful lot of shit. Quite, it's quite possible. Jokes aside, I think one of the big issues is that there's people who have kids who have autism, and, and I, I obviously don't have a child with autism, so I certainly am not in their shoes, is that it's really difficult and it's really hard, and this changes your life. Like, this will be the centre of your universe for the rest of your life, and you, you're looking for anything to make your life easier. You're looking for anything that will make it easier to get through the day. Um, sorry, I've, I've just get a bit emotional about this. And, you know, you're trying to tell parents that it's their fault because they gave the kids vaccinations. You know, there's there's a bunch of protocols and there's a 
group called the two guys called the guys who've lost their medical license in pretty much every state in the US who were essentially administering a chemical that castrate chemically castrates boys with to reduce their autism or backyard fecal transplants or giving them diets where they you can't eat pretty much any normal food and they're further socially isolating them all of these things are I, I would say a child abuse and if you were a parent of a, a child with autism particularly severe autism I, I I throw no stones at you I would do anything to to help my child but the people that are selling these treatments and promoting these treatments are essentially perpetuating and trying to cause child abuse. I have absolute sympathy for the parents who are just you know desperately looking for some way to help their children and make their lives easier and all of my my anger is directed towards the the people who offer false hope to these people and and you know sometimes it's um, sometimes it's people who are you know true believers who genuinely believe that what they're doing is effective and sometimes it's charlatans who are just out to make money. Yeah, okay. a lot of these treatments come with a hefty price tag. Mm. Mm. With a lady on Twitter who um, was tweeting, she's a homeopath and she was tweeting that she was going to be running a, a half price clinic for children on a Saturday. So, you know, for homeopathy. Consciousness. So there probably are lots of these, you know, desperate parents who, who are trying to do all they can to improve their lives and the lives of their children, taking these children to these homeopathy clinics, paying an absolute fortune because these treatments are so costly. Well, no, um, they're, they're half price on Saturdays, right? Let's just keep it in perspective. <laughs> of course, I'm sorry, you're quite right. Okay, so Dave, have you got any final blogs that you'd like to plug? Well, I don't actually have a, a thing to a, a blog to plug, but uh, as of Monday, my I've got a crowdfunding project where it's called at Name the Virus One on Twitter or Name Virus on Facebook, or it will be on Possible, and we're trying to raise ten thousand dollars to create four new viral vectors, and these are special viruses that don't cause disease, don't cause any symptoms, but we can use them to help understand what the cells in the brain do. So viruses, that viral vectors that I've made are being used to examine multiple sclerosis, epilepsy, anxiety, uh, depression, memory, learning, eating and sleeping disorders. So these are the ones that I'm already working on and I want to make four more. And uh, if you donate $20 or more, um, we'll, we'll obviously give you a thank you, but then you can also chuck in a name. And the idea of Name the Virus is that the most popular name, any name that gets the equivalent of more than $2,500 worth of donations, will name the virus. So it's about 10 letters. It's got to be socially acceptable. So I think uh, you can have a DPAC virus. You can have a herd mentality virus. Um, and if you We've obviously donate $2,500, <laughs> we'll, we'll name a virus after you. Excellent. Okay. And Ra, do you have a bottom to plug? Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, I would like people to kindly have a look at... Um, secular blokes charity page that he's doing he's raising money for a really worthy cause and godless bell checker is doing a, a fundraiser to um raise money for i think it's water aid in deprived parts of the world so both him and secular bloke have got very worthy causes so if people could have a little look and if they can donate even if you, you know it's only a couple of dollars it it really does help very well and finally joanne Yes, um, I've got two things to, to plug. Uh, no blogs. I'm, I'm just 
never been a blogger. But um, first of all, Friends of Science in Medicine, you can uh, find our website on uh, www.scienceinmedicine.org.au or Friends of SciMed on Twitter. And the other thing also, which I uh, forgot to mention earlier, is uh, I'm also on the Committee of the Australian Skeptics and you can follow us on Skeptics on Twitter or skeptics.com.au. Yeah, I'm also a member of Friends of Science in Medicine. If you go onto their website, you can have a look at some of the people that are, uh, are supporters of this, which is pretty much my understanding, and Joe obviously has a better idea, is that it's just saying that if you're going to treat people with something, there should be an evidence base. So, and it, whether it be from a pharmacological company, whether it be chiropractic, whether it be homeopathy, if you're going to treat somebody with something, the risks and benefits should be clear and demonstrated. That's correct. Brilliant. All right, guys. Well, thank you for coming on the Herd Mentality podcast and talking me through how all this vaccination stuff works. It's been wonderful having you all on. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. Yeah. Say, Adam. Yes, you may. I was really well behaved. I didn't say cunt once. <laughs> I'm very disappointed. And you said that I couldn't do it. See? It did use fanny gallops in the first 30 seconds, though. <laughs> this one's for you, Ra. Now that we're off air, what sort of message do you have for Rob Schneider and Jenny McCarthy? You're going to put this in the outtake. I wouldn't do such a thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd call them cunts, but they lack the depth and the warmth so I'm not going to call them cunts <laughs> alright <laughs> oh, quality this week's amazing bonus material is a mashup of talent from Seaweb's Sunday School podcast providing music and vocals and words by no illusions from the Scathing Atheist podcast I strongly encourage you to listen to both Turtles and that mutated rat. And all the 
south, and all of the vale, and all of the springs, and all their kings, he left none remaining, but utterly destroyed all that breathe, as the Lord God of Israel commanded. Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites for a second time, and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep, and ass with the edge of the sword. Joshua, oh Joshua, Moses finally died. Now you can have the position that so long held your why. You served what the second of command, but time has come at last. After too many decades of kissing God's ass, take the baton and lead this army of juice. After all these Canaanites are in need of abuse, you serve God well by scouting and not being honest. Soon you lead the Hebrews to the land that God promised. As you learn about this guy, it's not hard to conclude that Chuck Norris impregnated that Dosecki's dude. He's Admirable and lovable, strong and heroic Only if you haven't updated your moral sense to Paleozoic Your ambitions are grand, your intentions exonerated So with your God-given powers of land reappropriated You'll be crossing the river, but you won't need a float When God's done with that shit, you'd have to carry your boat Joshua, oh Joshua, how your legend ascends The way you massacre, exterminating, ethically cleanse You're the bravest, the strongest, usually the smartest Except when dealing with Gibeons, those fucking con artists where to go, Jericho? I hear they got hookers. You promised not to kill Rahab, but she's quite the looker. You might as well sit you're killing all the Gentile chicks. And there's no way those Jewish princesses are sucking your dick. Hanging kings, burn the village, your army sets forth. From Achon to I, they continue in north. Killing children to show what a shit you don't give. But showing occasional mercy by letting animals live. With the slightest of setback, your conquest succeeds. Ensuring that millions in history will boast of your deeds. You're a legend, a lion, a genuine stud. They took your milk and honey, but you took their blood. Goddamn right. I am that I am. Elohim. The notorious G.O.D. <laughs> Taking four skins and killing innocent children. Because I just don't give a fuck. <laughs>